0: Renee, thank you so much, and what a powerful testimony those words have about understanding and looking at things that you and I experienced in our life. And really, we did not communicate, and that's one of those kind of just beautiful God things along the way, Renee, because the view of being able to take a look at difficulties and trials in our lives is a spiritually mature view. And it takes place from a high point. Now, you know that if you want to get a good panoramic view and see for a wide area and get a picture of all that is going on below you, you've got to go higher. You've got to get on a higher elevation, And sometimes going up on a higher elevation causes us to look around and think, oh, oh. And and sometimes we're more comfortable at a lower elevation. But if you want to get up high, many of you, you've been to the mountains in Colorado, New Mexico, and other places. Or you've been to the top of a skyscraper and been able to go to an observation point. If you want to get a good view, you've got to get higher up. God wants his children to... To get a higher up view. Satan wants people to stay in a low looking view. But God wants his children higher up. It's a view of spiritual maturity. And the Apostle Paul. Who was instrumental in establishing a church in Corinth. On his second missionary journey. Had stayed in Corinth for 18 months. And he saw the people in Corinth. As they were situated in the world as a Roman colony, an economic center, a philosophical center, they were in the middle of a strategic area, and Paul looked at that church, and he just saw the potential in them. He saw how wonderful and many things they could do. He saw a church that could have a great impact for the kingdom of God in the same way that if the Apostle Paul were here in Grand Prairie today, I promise you he'd look at this congregation and he would say, what a church opportunity. This church can have an incredible impact for God. She's had it in the past. She has it now. We want her to have an even greater impact in the future. Well, then he ended up, Being away from Corinth, and you know what Paul heard. He got word that this church with tremendous potential and impact had gotten sidetracked. And we believe that he saw them and he said, You're taking a low view. You need to get higher up. And he wanted them to have a challenge and a commitment to spiritual maturity. And so as we walk through this letter, we're going to see those principles. And in verse 1 through 4, When Paul opens up, as he is continuing his writing to the church of Corinth, he writes this by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. You know, it is a marvelous thing to have a baby come into... One's family. You know, and a healthy family takes on that little life, and a healthy family rejoices when a child is born, and they gladly understand that while this child is an infant, that child's going to have fussy times. That child's going to cry. There's going to be a lot of times, that child just flat out stinks. (laughs) But I've never known a healthy family that says, you know what? Because of the messy, fussy, stinky times, let's just throw the baby out. No, because they love that baby. That baby is a gift of God. But you know what? (laughs) That family will not be quite as thrilled. They'll still love the baby. If that baby becomes a grown-up, unless there's something in that child that ends up short-circuiting the growth process, and then in that special child, there's a love that only we can share and understand. But in a healthy child that doesn't have the special need, if that child grows up and becomes an adult and is still fussy all the time, and whiny, and complaining, and still can't change their own diaper. (laughs) You know that that's not a thing that the family's happy about, because every family wants to see this beautiful baby grow up into a mature, responsible, financially independent adult, out of the house. Teenagers, they want you out. (laughs) Paul, that's what he's saying. He's saying, church, listen, listen, I I couldn't address you as mature, but I I addressed you right now as spiritual infants. You should be growing. Then he goes on. Verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food. You weren't ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? My goodness, our boys and girls could do this. If you see an animal, and it looks like a horse, It talks like a horse. It walks like a horse. If you ask a child, what is that? They're going to say what? It's a horse. Well, Paul is saying, church body, to the Corinthian believers, folks, you're looking like the world. You're talking like the world. You're acting like the world. If I didn't know better, I would think you were still in the world, but I know... I saw you give your heart to Christ. I saw you grow and make an impact. But right now, when you're acting in this way that you're behaving, are you not acting like mere men? You look like it. So now he's going to lay out some challenges to them. And I want to give you three views from a higher standpoint that all of you, I trust, are taking in your life And if there's some growth in your area, I want you to get these three views of how we ought to see the church and understand a view of spiritual maturity in a church of impact. First of all, we're going to find that God uses people differently. A view of spiritual maturity looks around and sees that God uses people different ways. Verse 5, look at what he says. Paul writes and he says, what, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. Uh, what Paul is saying here is that no one has every task assigned to his or her life. No one can do everything, but every believer can do something. God designed diversity into our human creation. The talents in this room are as diverse as the people in this room. Some of you have talents for mechanics. Some of you have talents for musically. Some of you have talents numerically. Some of you have talents just in dealing with creativity. There are multitude of talents, but not everybody has every talent wrapped up in one. The Corinthian believers were seeing Paul and Apollos differently. They were seeing some of the people in their church differently, and they were evaluating who was a better person because of the talents or the gifts, the things that they end up having. And they were focusing on personalities. Instead of what Paul wanted them to get higher plane and focus on position. So Paul writes and he says, What is Apollos? Some translations use the pronoun who. But what is the better Greek translation in this? Because Paul is not talking about him as a personality. He's talking about him as a position and a function that God has assigned into the church. And so Paul says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? We are but servants. The word servant is the same root word, diakonos, that we get our word deacon. It literally means we are Diakonos, we are table waiters. Uh, we could write, say it in our vernacular maybe, He's just, I'm just an errand boy for God. A low view of servanthood somehow thinks that a person can end up thinking he is the master. But it is one master, one Lord, who has then assigned... To each one his task. And whatever he has assigned, I have gifts and abilities that he's assigned me a task because of how he designed my life. And you have gifts and abilities, so God would assign you a task according to the gifts and abilities that he has given you. So that it functions together. And the goal of a high spiritual mature view is saying... How can I contribute to the growth of the kingdom of God using the gifts and talents that God has given me? See, all of us have one purpose along the way. The business of the church is what I ask you to quote every week. And I ask you to quote it simply for this, family, because I want it to get not only from your head, I want it to get into your heart, that we exist as an individual and as a church body, you sum it up to glorify God and work with him as he builds his kingdom. To glorify God is to love him, to worship him. And we glorify him not only in loving him, but we glorify him through loving one another. For the identifying mark of a local New Testament church and a believer, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you what? Love one another. So our business as a church is to glorify God and get Jesus up as high as we possibly can, but then to work with him as he builds his kingdom. It's not our kingdom. It's his kingdom. Our work is his work. We simply join him in what he is doing, and God uses everybody. He uses the preacher in the work of the kingdom. He uses the area ministers in our children, our youth, Our education. He uses our daycare and our after-school workers. He uses the support staff with gifts and talents. He uses those who come and are prayers, prayer warriors. He uses people who use musical gifts in our choir. He uses our men and women who would have abilities to do fix-it things and to help keep a campus running. He uses people who have a passion and will pass out food. He uses guys with technical abilities to keep this sound going and our screens operating. We could go all along. The person who passes out the bulletin is what one comes in. Or walks around the parking lot just simply in a sinful world to give security. Every single task is important. And a high spiritual view says God uses people differently. And we honor that. Second, a high spiritual view looks at the church and recognizes that God is responsible for growth eternally. Verse 6 and 7 tells us this. Paul writes and he says, "...I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes all things grow." And this wonderful analogy of planting seeds in the ground, our children will do this in school coming up, and they'll learn lessons of life. As you plant a seed in a dark place in the dirt... You water that seed. But if the plant seed is put into the dirt, it's in a dark place, and then it's watered, it has to have one more ingredient at least to grow. It's got to have what? Light. Light. Light is the source of energy, and when there is light that comes, that light actually then even penetrates into that dark place. And within that seed, there is mechanism that God put there. There's mechanism that that inner seed, the germination of life, wants to reach up to the light. And what plants then do As roots will go down, plants display what is simply called negative gravitropism. Now, when I saw that, I thought I'd never learned that in school. But all it means is this. That when a plant breaks through, because it is reaching up and drawn to the light, the light is the source of energy, a plant literally is defying gravity when it comes out of the ground and doesn't simply fall straight down. It has inside of it an energy built in because of the light that it can literally, it defies gravity. Take away the light, what will happen? That plant will die and it will fall to the ground. It can't defy gravity anymore. And if you move the light, if it's in a shady place, it's going to seek out the light. And so a plant will turn. It will always go to the light. Well, let's bring it home spiritually. The gospel, the gospel, the word of God is the seed of God. It's planted into the soul that is darkened by sin, and dead in its sin. The seed of the gospel has life. And when the seed of the gospel is planted into that dark place within the soul of a man, because he hears the gospel, that does not come back void. The Word of God that is sharper than any two-edged sword. pierces even to the dividing of soul and spirit. The Word of God goes into the heart. And then it is watered by continuing sharing of the Word of God. And by the witness of godly people who give a positive witness of the love of Jesus Christ that they do not see in the world. But... That seed, that gospel seed is not germinating inside of someone because of the effort of the people. It's germinated because of the light of Christ. And it is the light of the world, Jesus Christ, that shines with his energy and causes new life to burst through. No one, no human man can ever truly say in this way, I led a person to Christ. What I did was I brought them along, planted some seed. I watered some seed. But it is the Holy Spirit of God that brings about conviction into the heart. God causes a person to come to him. Jesus said it like this. No man can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. The light draws him and brings him along. Jesus said it in John 15, 5. Read it with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He means nothing of any eternal consequence because it is God who is responsible for the growth eternally. Our job, church family, Our job is to plant as many gospel seeds as we possibly can into this world in as many lives as we can, in as many ways as we can. And then asking God to take that which we have done and bless it and cause the light of the gospel to shine onto those seeds We will water those seeds as best we can. But we will always then remember it is God who makes it grow. A mature viewer understands that. God is responsible for growth. We are responsible for joining him in what he's doing. And then the third thing that Paul wants his brothers and sisters in Corinth to get. As Paul wants them to know that not only does God use people differently and God is the one responsible for growth eternally, but God rewards people individually. Look at verse 8. Paul writes to them and he says, the man who plants, the man who waters, they have one purpose, and each one will be rewarded according to his labor. All one purpose, glorifying God, working with him as he builds his kingdom, but every one of us, We will give an account before God of what we have been assigned to do, and whether you took your assignment. Years ago, I heard a, what I thought was a very insightful story. I can't verify, I don't know where it took place, but the story goes that there was a orchestra that had a guest conductor come in, a very famous guest conductor, and this conductor had composed an original piece that the orchestra was going to present. In that original composition, the orchestra conductor who wrote it, the composer had written a very, very tiny part for a piccolo. Now, the piccolo player saw his or her part. The piccolo player decided that part's just not very much at all, kind of was a little offended by it so he didn't pay any attention while they were at rehearsal. And because he wasn't paying attention, the part came in rehearsal for the piccolo to play, but he didn't come in on cue. The conductor stopped the orchestra and hollered out, Where is the piccolo? Where is the piccolo? The fact is, is that the conductor had written a part just for that time. In the conductor's mind, the piccolo, minor though it seemed to him, was major in his eyes. And the piece was not complete unless the piccolo player played. Do you hear where we're going? Do you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you? There is no minor ministry in the kingdom of God. Every week you come here and you hear your pastor or whoever is assigned that day. You hear a preacher preach, and he gets a lot of the time. You sit and you listen, and sometimes you may think in the kingdom of God, that's the one that has the major ministry. Uh -uh, Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I've only been assigned a task in the kingdom. But my reward will be based upon whether I did my assigned task. Your reward will be based on whether you did your assigned task. And Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, at the end of his life, he came to the end, he said, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. He said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. And then he goes on and he makes this statement in verse 8, and he says, Now on. There is laid up for me a crown, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. But not to me only, but to everyone who looks forward to his appearance. My question to you, family, today, individually, is not so much our, what are you doing to serve Jesus. My question, are you really doing anything at all? If today you were to stand before God... And some of you today, if you were to stand before God, you're not ready to stand because you haven't received Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But the majority in here who you have trusted Jesus already, if you were to stand before God and he laid out what he had assigned for you to do, how many can say, at least I believe I've done what I knew I should do? And if not... I want to come to the conclusion. In verse 9, Paul makes this statement. And he ends up saying, we are God's fellow workers. That's all we are. You are God's field. You're God's building. Child of God. Family of God. God loves you. God has such an impact for you and I to make in his kingdom. A local church doesn't belong to the pastor. A local church does not belong even to the members. A local church belongs who? To God. You are God's field. You are God's building. And a mature view takes everything under his lordship and then says, I am just a servant. Here I am, Lord. Use me. Let's bow. I pray, Heavenly Father... That this morning, that in our spirit, we're rising to a high place where the Spirit of God wants us to be. To look out at our lives and at our world and see, Father, that you have put us in this place to be a part of reaching people and then developing disciples for Jesus Christ. Father, help us to do that in all that we do. Lord, I believe there's some this morning that you're calling right now. One, some today, Lord, to say in their heart, I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm I'm ready to give him my life. And others that today, you've already told them in their heart, this is the church family you want them to be in. As each has been assigned their task, Lord, but the first step is to become a part of this family. So I pray that, Lord your Holy Spirit will draw people to come and be a part of what you're doing here and to join this local church. Father, I love you. And all of us, Lord, I pray in our heart, whether it's here at the front or whether it's in our seat where we are, and Lord, we will make a commitment today. I just want to be what God wants me to be in Jesus' name. Will you stand to your feet? we begin to sing, maybe you're in the balcony this morning here on the floor. In your heart, There's something drawing you. The Holy Spirit is calling you to make a decision today. If you're not sure about whether Jesus is in your heart and heaven is your home, let us pray with you and step out and come. People will be glad to let you. We'll talk with you. If you're a Christian, you live in this area, we welcome you. Right now, whatever you need to do, let's come as we sing. Somebody, do not wait. This is your day. Right now, this is your day. You feel in your heart this is where God wants you to be? We welcome you and we ask you to come right now. another opportunity we won't delay but we give you this opportunity this is just for you one more time the spirit speaking to your heart